0: hey no name calling here just differing opinions going head to head with counterpoint. Counterpoint. counterpoint
1: here's alex pearson on global news
0: radio all right i am peter sherman and the reason you're hearing me tonight is alex pearson's a bit under the weather and uh we wish her well don't know when she will be back it could be tomorrow it could be friday it could be next week but uh, we roll with the punches here on global news radio so uh, i will see you through and um I have a couple of people to help me. Uh, John Moraz is with me for CounterPoint, our panel, and he is a former Liberal War Room director. Good evening, John. Hello. Good to have you aboard, and uh, Bill Hutchison is in studio, journalist, broadcaster, and a professor at Seneca College. Hi, Bill. Hi, Peter. How are you? I'm doing well. Okay, uh, we heard a couple of things today that uh, I think we should kick around the panel, um, and the first one strikes me as basically the penultimate... Canadian decision on how to be fair and um, I, I'm, I'm not saying that in any kind of a joking way because frankly the subject is not a joke. We're talking about the distribution of the very significant GoFundMe payments that were collected, about $15 million and change for uh, people who... Um, were injured and obviously will carry their injuries for life uh, in that terrible bus crash uh, that the Humboldt Bron- Broncos experienced out in Saskatchewan, uh, as well as for families of people who were deceased in uh, in that same crash. And why I say it's, it's so Canadian is nobody argued about anything. They just basically thought equal distribution sounds about right with a slightly different payment for those families where... Uh, somebody survived versus uh, a payment for families uh, of, of players who uh, are just never coming back. Now, each of the surviving players receives $475,000, and this was in accordance with uh, the recommendations of, I would say, a pretty uh, blue-ribbon panel that was uh, selected to uh, decide on this. And then uh, about $525,000 for each of the 16 families of people who died in the bus crash back on April 6th. Um, the the questions that have arisen as a result of this, the first one is, do we give less to the living who may have more expenses going forward? Uh, or the other way, the loss of life was only worth an extra $50,000? I, I guess the question I've got to ask is, was this split fair? The committee thinks so. Apparently, the families think so. John, do you think so?
2: I find the entire conversation really discomforting, and it makes me think that I spent a lot of my life around soldiers, both Canadian and not many of whom died protecting our interests, our country, NATO, etc. And, of course, severances are paid, and it is never a public conversation. I'm a little bit queasy and sick to my stomach to even be asked to opine on how we distribute monies to the survivors of the dead and those who did survive, so well, I it's, accuse it's... myself from
0: this. <laughs> okay, you can recuse yourself, and I understand totally how you feel. And the only reason we put it on the panel tonight, frankly, in a way, I'm saying this to appease you because um, of your queasiness, is because it has been very public. I didn't make it that way; it just is out there in the uh, in the news area. So I'll I'll turn to you, Bill, and uh, ask you the same question. In fact, I'll throw in something that uh, addresses what John's brought up. Number one, should this have been discussed publicly, specifically? in light of the fact that the families all seem to be satisfied, uh, number one. And number two, uh, the same
1: question I put to John.
0: Do you think that the split was
1: fair? As for it becoming public, I think it it was bound to become public. The GoFundMe uh, was an outpouring of generosity from Canadians across the country. So rightly so, they'd like to know that the money was dispersed fairly. Uh, As for whether it was exactly fairly, I don't think you could possibly ever uh, compensate a family for the loss of their child, or or compensate uh, the the victims for the devastating injuries, the ones who survived. So, if the families are satisfied with it, I think we all have to be satisfied with it. Nobody's going to be completely uh, happy with it. Nobody's happy. This is a terrible tragedy, and and this is a small amount of compensation for for the victims and for their families.
0: I think that's a reasonable perspective, and uh, I don't know if you want to stay, uh, let's call it recused, John, but um, I'll just give you my opinion and bounce it off you. I'm sorry to have brought this up in the sense that it uh, causes you that discomfort on the one hand. On the other hand, I have to say this. I don't think there's any amount of money that you can hand to a victim of something like that or to a family that's lost somebody, much less discuss it. Uh, outside, and I agree with Bill that uh, if families are satisfied with what has happened, then it should make people who donated something to uh, help ease their pain uh, a, a more positive experience. It'll never be positive, but it's more positive when you know you don't have to shell out.
2: Uh, I suppose I would say this I agree with everything that Bill said, and I'm always impressed by the generosity of Canadians. When such horrible things happen, I, I I'm impressed tonight. I, I certainly don't blame or ascribe blame anybody for this conversation happening as uncomfortable as it makes me. And finally, uh, yes, there has to be some accountability. Uh, I just don't profess to understand how, how what how you do the math on this. I just I can't relate.
0: I don't either. But you know what? Uh, a, a six-person panel with people like Haley Wickenheiser on it uh, apparently do. And uh, the families apparently do, so I think we'll leave it at that and move on to another topic. And that topic is this. You remember Kathleen Wynn, Everybody remembers Kathleen Wynn, especially you, John. Uh, so Kathleen is now uh, an MPP on her own, and she, like every other MPP, can present private members' bills uh, on an annualized basis, and she has. And what she's calling for is mandatory seatbelts on school buses. Now, what's interesting about this is for many years, and I've done interviews on air for a long time with uh, various safety officials. I'll do one later tonight where we've been told, you know, you don't want seatbelts on school buses because if you do have a horrible crash and we've seen those kinds of things, you need kids to be able to be, or anybody on the school buses capable of being extricated very quickly. And sometimes seat belts can prevent that. Now there's a new study that apparently was done some years ago that uh, for some reason was never made public held by transport Ontario that says you can save lives with seatbelts in school buses as you can in cars. Does this surprise you? And um, can we all say that we congratulate Kathleen Wynne, Bill?
1: Um, I would congratulate Kathleen Wynne had she brought this forward when she was transportation minister or when she was education minister or when she was premier It's a little late in the day for her to bring this forward as a private member's bill uh, after she's left power. She was in power for 15 years and didn't do anything. So if this were really such a burning issue, she should have been doing something then. So, sorry, I'm holding my congratulations for her. As for whether or not uh, it, it saves lives, sure, in certain circumstances it will probably save lives. In other circumstances, it could cost lives. I used to drive a school bus for a a day camp back in the 70s, back in a long, long time ago. And I can tell you it would have been very difficult as as the driver to go back and make sure that all the kids are wearing their seatbelts. And And I can tell you in a in school bus situation, the driver doesn't have the time to go back and make sure you're wearing your seatbelt, you're wearing your seatbelt. There'll be kids that won't be wearing it. So, I don't know that it, it. I find when I drove the school bus, uh, it was it was a pretty slow, lumbering vehicle. Uh, it didn't go very fast. You couldn't get into a lot of trouble. Obviously, there can be accidents at any time, but um, honestly, I, I don't know. Everything changes.
0: You know, they get on highways and and go faster, and we saw what happened uh, in the Saskatchewan incident, and there have been other situations much like it. Let me go to John, who is uh, the declared liberal war room director and therefore an obvious liberal, and say that I misspoke, by the way. I said Transport Ontario, and I meant Transport Canada. So benefit of the doubt, it may be that Kathleen Wynne was not aware that the study that's always uh, been cited about not wearing seatbelts was a 1984 study by Transport Canada, and nobody seemed to know that there was a report also held by Transport. Canada, in 2010, that had never made the light of day that contradicts the 84 study, and it's on that that she's based her bill.
2: Right. I, I assumed when I first read this that the study had just sort of been brought forward or completed or published just recently, and so I agree with Bill. It's Her timing is interesting, and if I was to be cynical, uh, I would say this is Kathleen looking for a microphone and trying to revive the fortunes and the hopes and the future of the Liberal Party. I would also add, for the record, that I did not work for Kathleen Wynn for quite some time before she recused herself.
0: <laughs> okay, we can have that discussion, but we won't. But, but, but. but
2: I will say this. It has never made any common sense to me, and I have a 10-year-old who does take school buses on trips. I've never understood why seatbelts have not been mandatory in school buses, and I don't pretend to be an engineer, and in taxi cabs when we are told, if we don't wear them in our automobile, we will be penalized just to reinforce the notion that they save lives and thereby costs. So I never got it. I still don't get it. I haven't read the study.
1: But but that was known back in the 70s when I was driving a school bus for the day camp. You could see kids bouncing around, sure, so you had to drive more carefully. Sure, it made sense that they should have worn seat belts. but but the fact was, who, who was going to enforce that?
2: Well, I, I would also recall that in the 70s, was when I was being driven around by my parents... None of us wore seatbelts most of the time. We didn't have to.
1: We didn't wear them in
0: cars either in the 70s, guys. That's right. Okay. And
2: so the world changed. And I, I never understood why school buses and taxi cabs and vans and all that didn't demand the exact same
0: uh, rigor. Neither did I, and we'll leave it at that because we have to take a break. When we come back, one of the things we're going to talk about is whether or not a mom who says her kid can't take yoga in school Uh, because it's against the family's religion makes any sense to you. I'm not sure it does to me, but we'll get into it and more as we continue with Counterpoint here on On Point on Global News Radio. I'm Peter Sherman. Hey, no name calling here. Just differing opinions going head-to-head with Counterpoint. Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. Peter Sherman in for Alex Pearson and we're in the middle of uh, Counterpoint. This is segment two and our uh, panel consists of John Mraz, former Liberal War Room Director, Bill Hutchison. You know him as a journalist, broadcaster. He is a professor at Seneca College. And uh, we have a couple of subjects I'd like to touch on. The first one has to do with our premier, our relatively new premier, Doug Ford. Uh, he was making some pronouncements today. And uh, the main one was if I had been premier for the past five years, General Motors wouldn't have left Oshawa. That's what he had to say, and he was speaking uh, today after a provincial cabinet meeting, and that's what he told reporters. Let's listen to him. GM didn't decide this in six months when Doug Ford took over. Matter of fact, if Doug Ford was here for five years, they probably wouldn't have left because mm-hmm. I would have lowered their taxes, lowered their hydro rates, would have made sure we got rid of the carbon, carbon tax and make it attractive for companies to stay here. Okay, so there's Premier Ford saying what he said. So you've heard it in his own words. Uh, He has also said, as we all know, that the plant is done over kaput. Jerry Dias of Unifor, the union, says that he and politicians will fight for the jobs. Do you think, gentlemen, that there's a chance to save this plant from closing? And to Ford's point, would things actually have been different under a Ford government if he'd been in office for the past five years? Let's go to you first, Bill.
1: Uh, much as I like a lot of the things that uh, Premier Doug Ford has done in terms of turning things around in this province, uh, I don't think that it would have made that big of a difference to General Motors. Yes, I think we would have had a much better business climate in this province. We probably wouldn't have lost 300,000 manufacturing jobs if the hydro rates have been kept in line with other jurisdictions, uh, if the taxes had been kept in line, if... Uh, Um, You know, minimum wage hadn't gone up if a number of other things, a lot of bureaucracy and red tape hadn't been in place. I don't think that would have stopped uh, GM from making its move, unfortunately, simply because uh, those uh, situations don't exist in Ohio and Maryland uh, the way they do in Ontario. And it didn't make a difference there. Um, As for whether or not it can be saved, I think that uh, it's slim to to none. And I think Slim's already uh, on its way out of town. Uh, I think the Unifor has a, a lot of uh things to answer for to its members because That contract that they signed in 2016 should have had some significant um, uh, payouts if if the plant were closed. And I think Unifor missed the boat on that. Remember that the workforce in Oshawa used to be 23,000 and it was down to 2,500 now. So everyone saw the writing on the wall years ago that, that the auto industry is slowly disappearing in Oshawa. So why they didn't see that, why they didn't step up. And now Jerry Diaz is running around. Uh, Canada and the U.S. saying, we're going to save this. We're going to... Well, I'm sorry, uh, Jerry, you're not going to do it. You've been too busy fighting political camp. He's fighting political campaigns against the conservatives provincially and federally instead of keeping his eye on the ball, which is defending his members and protecting his members from situations like this.
0: Well, uh, you know... um, Speaking to you, John, I started the program, I don't know if you were there, at uh, 7 o'clock with a little bit of a rant myself saying, uh, all things come to an end. And 100 years or not, or in the particular point of of General Motors having started the uh, the current operation in 1953, uh, I believe that we're coming to an end, and much as I, I... my heart does go out to the people who uh, have to step aside. Saying that uh, it's a family tradition to work for General Motors in Oshawa doesn't solve the, uh, the Kodak problem, if I can call it that. The fact that uh, they don't need all of the facilities that they've got and that uh, they decided on closing five of them and we happen to be one of them. Is there anything that can be turned around? And is Doug Ford right that if he had been premier for the past five years, it might be different?
2: So let's begin here. Uh, I have no idea why Doug Ford said something so spurious as if I had been the premier. Well, maybe if the ghost of Margaret Thatcher had been the premier, or Winston Churchill, or Binky the Clown. not really care. Right? Yeah. That's not the solution. Let's get into the solution. Doug's talking about making this a more uh, manufacturing-friendly, uh, more um, employment-friendly, more, uh, prog- I suppose, prosperous Ontario. Go to it, Doug. And he's had a weird week because he lauded, he actually praised on the day before uh, Justin Trudeau and even made fun of himself for doing it for the Maple Leaf Plants announcement. So, you know, all right, inconsistent. Very weird thing to say going backwards. I suspect is the only guy at all, at, you know, uh, at the two levels of government who's run a business. Doug is a realist. And I also want to remind everybody, when we talk about GM. We're not talking about a corporation. We're talking about shareholders who live all over the world and just want to realize a profit and could not care less where the plants are as long as they're making money.
0: There you go. I, I don't think we we have to beat a dead horse. I think that that one uh, is, is now uh, in the barn and they're going to cart it away. And I'm sorry to say that if you're listening in Oshawa, but that's kind of the the consensus the way I, I see it around this table. And Doug Ford seems to think that too. Now, uh, let's move on. And uh, I've got very little time left, but I wanted to touch on this one. And I, I teased the audience about it before the break. Um, a mom is battling a school board up in York region because um, – Her child, an 8-year-old daughter, came home from school and said she had a wellness day where she did some yoga. Now, this is not an uneducated woman. This woman is a cancer researcher, the mom. And she says, don't want my kid doing yoga? Our family's religion is Catholic, and that uh, yoga is a derivative of the Hindu religion. Well, guys, I'm Jewish, and uh, I'm just starting yoga and thrilled to do it because it uh, meshes well with uh, what I... uh, with my brand of meditation, which is mindfulness. And it's got, for me, nothing to do with religion. Is the woman right or wrong, John?
2: I I just, it makes no sense to me. Uh, She clearly feels strongly about it, and she has the right, as I do, to pull my kid out of any program at school. And she decided to make some noise about it. And I think she sounds a little bit... uh, I don't know. Eccentric is going to be a polite word, so I don't I get it. Uh, to me, yoga is just an exercise. I, I recognize it. It's derived out of the Hindu tradition. I know hundreds of people who do yoga, Jewish, Christian, atheist, whatever. It never occurred to me that would be objectionable to somebody to, like, want to bend their bodies into a noodle and be healthy. Go to it. I'm doing it. A woman it. <laughs> has the right to withdraw her child
0: from that program.
1: All right. Last word to Bill. Uh, I am Roman Catholic, and, and I do not practice yoga. It has nothing to do, however, with its basis in Hinduism. It's because I look horrible in Lululemon tights. Um, I will say that uh, we make religious accommodations for all other religions. So if this woman feels strongly that her children shouldn't be involved in it, then we should accommodate her. And I think the school was supposed to do that and acknowledge it should have done that. And and, and what the woman has said is if you just apologize up front, then this wouldn't have gone to the, the school board level.
0: I agree with you. I, I uh, When I used to be an MPP, people would come and ask uh, me to sign papers witnessing uh, an order not to vaccinate, and I think they were out of their minds, but I guess people have rights, and uh, this woman is ex- exercising hers. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank, Thank you, Peter. You. All right, that's John Mraz, former Liberal War Room director, Bill Hutchison, journalist, broadcaster, professor at Seneca, and this has been Counterpoint on Global News Radio.